This podcast is brought to you by Peak at Sports, your full-service ski shop, featuring alpine, cross-country, snowboard, and snowbike rentals, as well as boot fitting, ski tunes, and ski repairs. Open every day from 8.30 a.m. to 6 p.m. 70 East, Little Avenue and Driggs. And by Three Rivers Ranch Outfitters, offering winter trip planning services and selling gear from Patagonia, Orvis, Hatch, Rio, Sims, and more, located just east of the corner of Ski Hill Road and Highway 33 in Driggs. Welcome to the second episode of Get Out the Podcast, produced by the Teton Valley News. I'm Scott Stunts. Have you ever wondered what it's like to ride a fat bike or what it would be like to ride one for several hundred miles? Well, today we talked to a guy who can definitely answer those questions, Jay Peterberry, veteran fat bike and mountain bike racer. Last year, he set a new record on the Iditarod Trail Invitational, finishing in two days, 19 hours. That smashed the old record by 10 hours. I talked to Jay at Fitzgerald's Bicycles in Victor, where he works, just before he headed off to an over 100-mile race in Minnesota, which he won, by the way. We started off with him giving a bit of a review of the new bike he's riding, the Salsa Bear Grease. Uh, for full disclosure, Peter Berry is sponsored by Salsa. We talked about his bike, the race he's hosting in March, and where fat biking is headed as a sport. Fat bikes and how far they've come today on Get Out. All right, let's do it. So how's it going? It's going great. How are you there, Steve? <laughs> Pretty good. So before we get into like what you like about or you know the specific things on the bike, you know I think a lot of people don't really know what it feels like to ride one of these things. And as somebody who's ridden one a lot, I think that's probably an understatement. Um, you know how have they changed since when you first started riding? How, what does this one feel like compared to you know what does the bear grease feel like compared to like some of the first ones? you rode back in the day? Yeah, definitely. That's a great question because I think we're at a point in fat bike market development where, you know, early fat bikes um, more or less were maybe designed in a way where, hey, let's just do anything to a bike to get these big tires in them. Um, And I would say the past however many years we want to say it's in 06, all the bikes were just sort of about making a fat bike and putting that tire in the frame. And now we're so far into development, there's many tires out there, many rim sizes. Um, I think this year, since Salsa's been in it for so long, when they designed the Bear Grease, they said, well, let's just stop trying to make this utilitarian bike that can accept big wheels and do everything. Well, let's make a race fat bike. And that's what they did. And that's what the... This year's Carbon Bear Grease is. It is a race fat bike. Um, and when I say race, it just, you know, um, it just has to do with design of frame. And we start to talk about that, that as being a geometry of a bike. And it has to do with angles of tubing. It has to do with length of sort of chain stays, rear end of bike. Where does the rear wheel fall in relationship to our saddle? Where does the front wheel fall in relationship to our steering? And that's what dictates a bike's feel. And being someone who's ridden many different bikes and very uh, a lot of utilitarian bikes, I would definitely come back from big long trips saying, oh man, I wish this bike was better this way, or I wish I didn't have to squirm around on it so much, or I wish it steered more consistently. And um, after riding the Bear Grease this year, I have, you know, I've only had my bike for maybe um, not too long now, not two months maybe, um, and probably running, you know, over 600 miles on it so far. And I love to ride my Bear Grease right now more than any other bike. Um, I get pretty excited when I start to... um, 
have a bike that really feels good and um, has good design and good good uh, handling characteristics. And this bike has all that to me. Um, it has short the shortest chain stays that are out there right now. And what does that do? Well, that gives you uh, a lot of control in the rear end of the bike with not a lot of movement. So the bike really sticks to the trail in the rear end. You can make that bike grip well. You can maneuver the rear end, and it's very snappy and quick. And then you talk about the front end of a bike, and on snow, um, it could be tricky in steering. And, you know, think about maybe walking a tightrope and what you might do with your hands moving back and forth. And some of the early bikes, you were constantly doing that with a, with a fat bike on snow where you're constantly correcting your steering. And that could be a back-and-forth scenario. And this bike... Um, is very stable in the front end, so it's holding the line, and you're not constantly correcting to overcorrect yeah. to undercorrect. And so, and and this this um, really stands out on like single track trails and things of that nature. Um, so, you know, honestly, I think they nailed it, and uh, I'm super excited to continue riding this bike and go on my next big adventure. You know, and not to put down the first bikes that are out there because they were learning an sure, but like. If you had to put down like a few adjectives for that kind of feel, that kind of ride, and then a few for what this bike feels like, what would you? How would you describe those first ones compared to this? Clown-like would be something that comes out in the first renderings of bikes. More upright, utilitarian, multi-purpose. Those are things that come to mind. And then when I think of the Barrigrees, I think of performance, responsive. Fast. Uh, the one thing I do say when I hop on the Bear Greases, it rides like a summer mountain bike would. I think that's like, so I got to ride, I think I rode this one on in that uh, race, of, or not this one, but like, I think I rode one of these. But then, and then um, you came back and yeah, rode the Muckluck. Oh, the Muckluck. Okay. So, so I rode the sister brother this, to this bike. Okay, cool. Because I haven't rode the Bear Grease, but I rode the Muckluck. It did feel a lot different than I thought a fat bike was going to feel. I think, you know, maybe when people don't know what to expect, you know, is this a good bike for them to realize, you know, how far they've come? Oh, I think it's amazing. You know, I think the one thing when uh, people originally look at these bikes, they look at it being as uh, heavy and, oh gosh, that's, that's probably hard to pedal. And the reality is you put somebody on it and they're like, you know, first of all, they have a big smile and grin. And then they're like, this is unbelievably stable. This is so much easier to ride than I would have thought. And then you move along to a bike like the Bear Grease and you might go to pick it up. And they're like, oh my gosh, this is unbelievably light. You know, we're talking, in a, you know, maybe a stock muckluck off the, off the shelf might be like, depending on which level, maybe it's 31, 33 pounds, right? Then you talk about a, a stock salsa Bear Grease and you're going to take 10 pounds off of that. Just about, almost. And like my personal bike is a is uh, definitely a little bit more uh, tricked out built, and it's twenty three pounds. Is that just because it's carbon, or because they like the design? They've lost a lot um, of weight. It's in it, carbon. There's uh, some other things in the bike industry that have come along, and we we might talk about that as being the drivetrain. So it's a one by drivetrain, no front derailleur, single ring up front, and then this year or two, uh, carbon rims have been introduced to the market. So that really saves a lot of weight, and the performance is unreal. So I'm really happy to see that now companies are paying attention to the performance of the bikes and not just trying to make a bike that has big tires. 
And I know, so you ride a lot of different distances on fat bikes. I know you just did the, the Targi race, was it 45K? Yep. And you rode your Bear Grace on that? Oh, yeah. So that's more of like a sprint compared to, <laughs> I was going to say, the, you know, the long haul stuff that you do. Yeah, and I got to even check in with myself a lot because I know my perspective on things is much different because, you know, even that 45K to me is, is a short distance race. Um, and to a lot of people, that's going to be a long distance race. And, you know, I concentrate on things that are, are multi-day, hundred mile, hundreds of miles. So this weekend, um, on Monday, I'll be starting an event in uh, International Falls, Minnesota called the Arrowhead 135. And that's 135 miles on snow. And I'll be riding my carbon bear grease, and I'll be fully loaded because it's mandatory gear to have overnight gear, sleeping bag, emergency equipment. You must take care of yourself. It's a self-supported event. And with good trails, maybe we're going to finish in 15 hours. Um, and right now... That's with good trails? That's good trails. That's hard. Right now, it's predicted to be negative 25. It hasn't snowed in a while. The trails are going to be firm. In, in a softier... And um, what happens is in long-distance um, snowbike riding, you might, I think, one needs to accept that pushing is part of the discipline. So if trails are too soft and it's snowing out, you might not be able to ride even with very low pressures. So then when we start to push, now all of a sudden that 16, 15-hour ride could easily turn into a 24, 30-hour ride. Okay, so you have to make sure you have all that gear to keep yourself safe. Absolutely. And, you know, you're talking about that you have to have different, you know, the, the kind of gear that you need for a multi-day. Um, you're getting ready to host a multi, like it could be a multi-day depending on how you write it, event coming up, right? Yeah, it's, it's, this is super exciting for me. Um, you know, given I've been doing this for so long and see the events popping up and I, I certainly feel very fortunate to the place that we live here. Um, I often call this the Moab of snow biking and um, the resources here are incredible. The The terrain is incredible. The visual, the um, just everything about it we have is is amazing. So, and I've been thinking about how awesome an event could be here for many years. And now I've finally done that. So this year I've launched a JP's backyard series. The first race being the fat pursuit, which takes place on March 1st. And obviously I'm passionate about long distance, but I'm also uh, passionate about getting people into riding bikes, no matter what distance. So I am offering a 60 K as well as a 200 K. And right now with the first year launch, I'm really excited the way everyone's been excited about the event, the feedback I'm getting, the support I'm getting. Um, we're hosting this event in Island Park, which is uh, just north of Victor, Idaho here. And those people in that community are very excited. And just um, I see this being I, – I plan on building this to be the premier event in the lower 48 states. And I also plan to see this go even longer distance. Since it's growing, you're continually like introducing the sport, the gear, everything to a new audience, to new people. I think sometimes it's hard to put yourself in that uh, that mental perspective of someone who's going to be doing like 200k. So maybe it helps to know like what gear do you bring on a 200k? Like you know what are you expecting sure. with the 200k? Yeah, I mean, so when you go into a an event of this length, you should really be um, planning for the worst, right? And the worst could be meaning maybe you're pushing and you're spending the night out there and, uh, you know, you, you might need to sleep. You might need to boil your own water. So what kind of equipment are you going to be carrying on your bike? You're going to be strapping on your bike. I have certain requirements. I'm requiring at least a zero. For your race. For, for my event, I'm requiring a zero degree bag. Uh, some events require negative 20. 
So, and then a bivy system of some sort or a tent, however you want to choose your equipment, but you need shelter, you need a sleeping bag, you need a way to boil water, which means a stove, a pot, a way to carry water. Um, You need to carry your calories. You need to carry an extra expedition jacket, possibly a change of clothing because you're going to be working so hard where you're going to be sweating and then it's going to get cold. You might need a way to warm yourself up. You might need to know how to build a fire. You might need to know how to, you know, keep your feet warm in those in, in negative 20 plus degree temperatures. And all that stuff is, I think, a part of why people really enjoy this and challenge themselves I to was... it. And it's because there's so much more involved with it. It's not just about riding a bike. It's, it's, there's an adventure here. And I just, and that's what I like to call it. Like, you're going to go on an adventure. Like, you're not going for a bike ride. And you need to have outdoor skills camping skills, winter survival skills. And that stuff is really important because you can put yourself in a situation that might cost you your fingertips, your fingers, your toes, frostbite. You know, my event's going to be supported in a way where we have some emergency outlets and I have a lot of things in place. Yeah, you said snowmobile patrols, like things, you know, but that doesn't guarantee, you know, you still need those skills. Absolutely. And and, and for me, um, I'm implementing certain rules to really encourage the challenge and and the self-supported aspect without relying on the race for help. But I'm also trying to let people know that it is safe. Um, You know, the, the one event that really stands out uh, early on is the Iditarod trail race. And, um, that thing's been going on for many years, but you put yourself, when you enter that event, you're putting yourself, uh, literally in a life and death situation where there is no help. There is no snow machine that's going to get you. There is no communication. And so that is a very big undertaking. And I did that. And I remember my first year, and I remember having probably more than, you know, 20 pounds of extra equipment because I was so prepared and nervous and scared. And, but I was prepared, and I, and I was ready, and I did get through it. And now I do that stuff with half the equipment that I used to. And that only comes through experience. So, um, and, I, and I'm really launching my event to introduce people to this stuff, to challenge them, but yet feel safe. And, um, and I think that's what... Uh, the majority of people would like. So when they do go off on their own, they do feel comfortable or, or maybe one day they do want to enter the Iditarod trail and at least they've done JP's backyard race. And that was a really good learning experience for them in a safe environment. I was going to say, as far as growing the sport, it seemed like there probably need to be some of those intermediate events. Cause like I busted out that like 15 K, you know, thing up there that because very safe environment. And that was a very good, like, you know, testing the waters type thing. And then you have like, you know, like the, the international falls race, but it seems like there needs to be, you know, varying degrees of safety and, you know, otherwise people aren't going to, you know, dive in the deep end right away sort of deal, you know? Yeah. And I I want it to be affordable in a certain fashion and not, I know everyone can't just afford to go buy all this equipment and, but, you know, down here in the lower 48, it can make it a little bit easier. Um, and, and really another side to all this is is the education and introducing to people to it. Uh, and it's not just the user themselves. It's, it's now um, educating the, you know, land management people. 
you know, let's talk about national parks. Let's talk about forest service. Let's talk about uh, Nordic centers. Now we're, now we're, uh, this is a new user group. It's very legitimate. It's not a niche. It's one of the biggest growing segments in cycling. There's businesses being spun off of it. It's not going anywhere. So um, now we need to educate all these other land management people to be like, hey, we're going to do this. We want to do this on, on this land. How can we... How can we work this out? How can we educate others about trail etiquette? How can we let the other users know that fat bikers are out there? And not all places are as easy to introduce us to to others. And um, we've battled both directions here. We've had some easy introductions and some very great people to work with. And then we're, we're headbutting with others and, and we'll continue to do that, but, and that's okay. That's just yeah. a, a part of what happens to a new user group. Um, it happened to mountain bike. It happened to every user group. And I was going to say, maybe not butting heads um, on this example, but I know there was the, uh, I can't remember the name exactly, but with, uh, I think he's with Skyliners, but there was, there was a proposal around here to require fat bikers to purchase registration stickers to use some of the trails. And I know that proposal uh, got put on hold to sort of work out, you know, maybe having a recreation district because it's one of those things where it wasn't going to generate an insane amount of money hmm. and it would put another barrier to people using the trails. You know, it's, it's just even stuff like that that didn't seem like something that would derail the use of the trails around here, but it's just another hurdle type thing. Yeah, and, and, and I, th- I think the really cool thing about us is, in general, and where we are is um, we have started a lot of these conversations um, with the land management and with the snow machine clubs and with the Nordic centers. We approached them on this, which is very different from when they approach you and start yelling at you, what are you doing with your bike on the trail? No, we said, hey, look, we have these bikes. This is a growing sport. How can we work together to make this work? And that's a very different approach that most um, organizations are not used to. When we come to them and say, hey, how can we give you money to help support this program? Like that's, that's an approach that we're not used to. And it's working for us. It's helping us. We started the Fat Bike Summit. And that was meant to educate land management, promote advocacy, and just, you know, it's turning into a festival now. And, and we did that last year here in Island Park. And that's something that's going to be annual. It's now in Ogden. And it will move around the country to help educate. And we didn't do anything bad. And that's usually when problems are solved, when there's something bad that happens. What was it? Most people do that. Uh, it's better to beg for forgiveness than ask for permission that's kind of been the the order of the day for a long time yeah yeah and i can definitely have that mentality i mean i was kicked out of yellowstone national park years ago and you know i've always wanted to make an issue out of it there's a side of me that we're fat biking or yes and 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 there's a side of me that understands like you know you got to work together to really make it happen and as i get older i just become just more you know, sensitive to this stuff, and I and I do want to see growth with it, and I do want to be able to ride in Yellowstone National Park one day, and going about it in the right way is, is definitely pays off in the end. And it, it takes a lot of time, takes a lot of patience, takes a lot of work, might even take some of your own money. But you know, if you feel really good about something, I think if you just keep plugging away at it, sooner or later it's going to come around, and and it becomes infectious. You know, you, you, you sort of start to breathe it to others. They get it. You know, we, we here at the shop constantly get calls about, hey, how can I introduce this to my area? Or I personally get 
thanked a lot for certain things and, you know, asked about certain things. And I, and I think that's great. That just means other people are going to take it into their own hands. And that's what we need to do. All right. Thanks to Jay Peterberry for talking to me. His race, JP's Backyard Fat Pursuit, is March 1st in Island Park, Idaho. You can go to fatpursuit.blogspot.com for more information. For other episodes of Get Out the Podcast, you can go to tetonvalleynews.net or go to our SoundCloud page. The music on this episode was made by Sergio de la Garza Palacios and was used under the Creative Commons license. Thanks for listening. I'm Scott Stuntz. Mm-hmm.